When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were there with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Please keep your Bibles open there. Thank you for the warm welcome. And how about I pray for us? Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you again for the Bible, that it is your word to us. And we ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding of your word we pray that by uh, that same spirit, you would uh, move your word swiftly from our heads into our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, no one enjoys waiting, do they? Uh, whether it's at traffic lights or the doctor or the dentist or even McDonald's. No one enjoys waiting, you know, waiting in the car to leave the house, waiting for brides to turn up, waiting in the shopping centres, outside the women's toilets for them to come. (laughs) Anyway, I'm probably revealing too much. 
Usually, when we have to wait, it's of it's little consequence, is it? Beyond inconvenience. But there are times when having to wait can be a matter of life or death. When Jess, our firstborn, was only a few weeks old, she started vomiting up uh, fresh blood. And you can imagine, as first-time parents who don't know anything, the wave of desperate terror that just kind of swept over me. And a doctor friend of ours that we rang said, just get her to emergency straight away. And I still, to this day, remember so clearly driving to the hospital and every red light wait just seemed like an eternity. And I'd sit there and I felt like swearing, and I don't swear. Um, uh, I would speed without any guilt whatsoever. And every slow driver I encountered, to me, was selfish and thoughtless. I mean, didn't they know I had a sick child in the car who, for all I know, could be dying? Now, is that irrational? Yes. Is it hard to understand? No. See, when it's life or death, seconds matter. And when it's someone you love, every delay, every wait is like a cruel punch in the heart. And so every second you wait feels like a minute. And every minute feels like an hour. And every hour, an eternity. Today, we meet a dad whose only daughter is about to die, and he is made to wait. We read, didn't we, in verse uh, 23, that Jairus' only daughter was dying. Verse 42 tells us she was 12 years old, so young. And so he goes to Jesus for uh, for help. And, uh, sorry, verse 22, not 42... (laughs) And you can see how desperate he was, can't you? Verse 22 says, He came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Now, that's kind of not unusual until we realise that Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. He was a Jewish leader, in other words, Therefore, he was a man of great standing. He was a man of great importance. So in other words, people came to him for help. People came and fell at his feet. And as a ruler of the synagogue, he would have had any number of slaves or servants that he could just send to fetch Jesus. But no, he goes himself and pleads begs Jesus to come. That's how desperate he was. That's how desperate the situation was. This man of great standing is now kneeling at the feet of a carpenter, begging him to save the life of his dying daughter. Can you feel it? I bet he wished sirens were invented in the first century because now that Jesus had agreed, speed was critical. 
But as we read in verse uh, 24, uh, there was a, a large crowd who was gathered around Jesus. Sorry, verse 20. Sorry, I'm getting all the verse wrongs. Anyway, <laughs> it's all there. Uh, there was a crowd around Jesus pressing in on him. That is, Jesus' progress was being hampered by this kind of peak hour of people. You know, I bet if there were swear words in the first century, which there probably were, you can imagine if Jairus muttered a few under his breath, can't you? And then to make matters worse, Jesus completely stops and starts talking to the crowd. I mean, what on earth is he doing? Look with me at verse 30. Verse 30 says, At once, Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, against you, uh, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Now, that's all Jairus needed at this point, wasn't it? Jesus wanting to stop and have a chat while his daughter was about to die. Seconds matter, don't they? And I'm sure for Jairus, every second felt like a minute. And every minute felt like an hour. And he's made to wait. Now, out from the crowd, as we read, steps a woman, frightened and trembling. And she, too, if you look at verse 33, comes and falls at the feet of Jesus, just like Jairus did. Well, what's this woman's story? And why did she touch Jesus' cloak? Come with me back to verse 25. Verse 25, look at that. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Uh, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touched his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. So for 12 years she had been bleeding continuously. That's as long as Jairus's daughter had been alive. No one knew why she'd been bleeding and no one could stop it. It says there she'd spent all her money on doctors, but none could help her. Now, there's no way possible, of course, for me to know what continuous bleeding would be like for 12 years, but I do know that her suffering would have been more than just physical. See, this would have made her unclean, according to Old Testament law. This would have meant that she would have been isolated from any sort of human contact or relationship for 12 years because that was the law, if you're unclean. 
12 years of having no one come into your home nor being invited to anyone else's. 12 years of people avoiding you. You know, the law says that if you're unclean and someone approaches you or walk comes toward nor near you in the street, you are to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that people can walk away from you. That was the law. 12 years without a handshake or a hug. 12 years of society saying, you are not welcome here. Have you ever felt left out? Have you ever felt unwanted? Have you ever felt excluded? Have you ever had that feeling when you find out that everyone else has been invited to something, a party or an outing or something, and you weren't invited? Have you ever had that feeling? This is what she experienced every day for 12 years. You see how her pain was more than just physical. But what was possibly worse than that was for 12 years, she would have thought that God was distancing himself from her as well. That God did not want her. Can you imagine 12 years of being alone, feeling dirty, being rejected by everyone and in your mind by God as well? That's a dark and lonely place to be. 12 years. But now, wow, having merely touched the edge of Jesus' cloak, she's healed. Just like that. Now I have a question for you. Why didn't Jesus just go on? He was, after all, in a hurry. Why does Jesus stop, make her own up, and tell her whole story in front of the crowd? And what would have been the impact of that? Well, firstly, when she tells the crowd her story that she'd been unclean for 12 years, I can tell you, if you were standing next to her, remember there's a crowd all pressing in, if you were standing next to her, you would have taken a step or two back, wouldn't you? You would have because in their understanding, if you touch an unclean person, you too become unclean. So you'd be going, whoa, did I touch her? Did I bump into her? Did you touch her? Did you bump into her? Furthermore, the crowd would have expected that Jesus would have been unclean now because she's just announced, Jesus, I touched your cloak, which should have made him unclean, except for the fact that she had been instantly healed and therefore made clean. How does this happen? How can a person go from unclean to clean, just like that? Well, look at what Jesus says to her again in front of the crowd. Look with me at verse 34. Can you see it? 
verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Beautiful words, aren't they, for her to hear? And what Jesus is saying here is that it was her faith that healed her. But I want to ask you this. Was it just faith? Was it just faith that made her well? Well, I don't think so. Remember, there's a crowd uh, all crashing in on Jesus and each other. So she would have come into contact with lots of other people, but only contact with one of them made her well. Only contact with one of them healed her. It was Jesus. It was her faith in him that made her well. Because, you see, faith is useless if you have faith in the wrong person. Remember, she trusted the doctors. She spent all her money on doctors, but her faith in the doctors didn't work because none of them made her well. None of them had the ability to make her well or to heal her, but Jesus did. And what made her faith effective then was who she had her faith in. So the red beanie was right. Where's the red beanie? Did you see the red? Where's the... Oh, there's the red beanie. <laughs> he was right. When he introduced that song, it's the object of your faith. That's important. Yeah? It was who she had her faith in. But I also want to point out here that I don't think this is just about her being healed from her bleeding. See, when Jesus says to her that your faith has healed you, you know, in the original language of the New Testament, which is ancient Greek, in the original language of the New Testament, it says your faith has saved you. The word for healed is actually the word, exactly the same word as we translate in our Bibles for saved. Saved. Your faith has saved you. That is, Jesus is doing more than just healing her of bleeding. He is saving her. Now, remember the question I asked you before? Why does Jesus stop? Why does he stop, make her own up and tell her story in front of all those people? Well, he does it because he's not just teaching her, but he's teaching all the people how you can be clean before God. And how you can be saved before God and saved from the impacts of sin, of which illness is one. And how are you cleansed? How are you healed? How are you saved? It's by having faith in Jesus. See, Jesus here is doing more than just curing her of a physical ailment. He is saving her in cleansing her before God. And you know what that means? That means not only is she not bleeding now, she's restored to her community. See, there'd be coffee again. And smashed avocado. 
and dinner dates and hugs. He is saving her from isolation. And she's saving her so that she can be with God and his people. This little story is about who you have faith in to save you. And it is quite clearly Jesus. But is the saving just from sickness with Jesus? How much more can Jesus actually do? That was pretty impressive, yeah? Healing someone like that. But what about life or death? Let's see what happens next. Because right at that moment, as disease walks out the door, death walks in. Yeah? Look at me at verse 35. Look at that. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Well, as a dad of three daughters, I can't imagine any worse words that you could possibly hear than that. And you'd be forgiven, wouldn't you, if you forgot that at this point Jesus was on his way to try to heal Jairus's dying daughter. And you can imagine him resenting the crowd, even the woman. That'd be completely understandable. I mean, if Jesus had not been delayed, maybe his daughter would still be alive. But you know, even before Jairus has a moment to let that awful news sink in, Jesus says in verse 36, don't be afraid, just believe. He's making the same point as he made to the woman, isn't he? Believe in me, Jairus. Believe in me. And she will be saved. He's saying to the dad, faith in me, save that woman who bled for 12 years. Faith in me will save your child whom you have loved for 12 years. Well, can Jesus do it? I mean, here's the challenge, isn't it? Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Death is final, isn't it? Everyone knows it. That's why you don't need to bother Jesus anymore. She's dead. What could Jesus do? Well, let's see what happens. Look with me at verse 38. Verse 38. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. So after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand, 
and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Verse 43, he gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) Was dead. Now alive. And we know she was definitely alive, don't we? Because in verse 43, it says, give us something to eat. And we know dead people do not eat Maccas. And as instantly as the woman was healed of 12 years of sickness, he saved this 12-year-old girl from death. And just with two words, Talitha Kum, and she's alive, just like that. And what we are seeing here is not simply the power of Jesus, Talitha Kum. What we are seeing here is Jesus demonstrating what he has come to do. And what he has come to do is to save people and to save people ultimately from death. See, there is one thing. There is one thing that all of us wait for, isn't there? All of us. And that is death. Every day we're alive is a day closer to our funeral. Doesn't matter whether you're 12 or you're 80. Doesn't matter whether you're an outcast like the woman or you're fine and upstanding like the synagogue ruler. We all, we all wait for death. How can you escape it? How can you be saved from it? Well, Jesus tells us here, it's to have faith, but to have faith in him. And I want to ask you, who are you trusting in to save you after your funeral? And will that work? If you were here today, and I don't don't know most of you, if you were here today and you have not put your trust in Jesus, the same way that woman did, in the same way that Jairus did, in Jesus, then I beg you to talk to someone about that today. I'm sure you can find someone here who you can talk to. And like I'm hanging around, Isabel and I hanging around for lunch. We'd love to talk to you about that. But I want to say, do not wait. Do not wait. There's no reason to. In both these stories, God is telling us to believe, but to believe in Jesus. Because he's the only one who can save you from death and give you life. But understand that the life that Jesus gives is not like the life he gave 
to this little girl who eventually died again. The life that Jesus promises to those who trust in him is permanent. Permanent. It is never-ending. It is eternal life where every second is like a minute and every minute is like an hour and every hour is everlasting. May I pray? Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in this world to deal with death, to deal with sickness and illness, to deal with the consequences of sin on our own. But you have sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again so that we might have forgiveness and life eternal. Father, we do ask that if anyone is here who has not put their trust in Jesus, that you might draw them to yourself today. And for all here who do trust in Jesus, Father, keep us believing in him and in him alone. And we thank you for Jesus again. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.